I'm going to ask you to be anxious. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to stop now and to, and to think about an element of your future, something that you don't quite control like you'd like to, and I want you to connect with that, to think about that. To, it might, I don't know if it's what the kids are going to think of you at school on Monday. I don't know if it's an exam you've got coming up. I don't know if it's whether you're going to get through this next week. I don't know if it's whether your relationship with your kids is, is, is going to work out, with their, your kids' relationship with God is going to work out, or if it's whether your marriage is going to work out. I, I, I don't know. But stop and think about something for you. What came to your mind when I asked you about an element of your future that concerns you? Because this is not a moment to sit here at church and pretend like we've got it all together. If we're going to do that, we might, I might as well not preach this talk and we might as well not do this because we want to have the real us meet the real God and have that business actually make a change. So I invite you now to be anxious and to get to know another anxious man. Uh, can you flick forward for me, Gideon? Uh, we were introduced to a bloke named Nebuchadnezzar last week. This man has conquered the, uh, the very center of the world, everywhere that was worth conquering, the nexus of, of Asia, Europe, and Africa, and, and all of the surrounding prosperous bits. He owned it. A powerful man who likes to exercise that power over others, renaming Daniel even, and his friends, saying, this is what your name is now. And uh, yet tonight... He can't sleep. He can't sleep. The ruler of an empire that occupies all of the central lands of the world is troubled not from external enemies. He doesn't have enemies who, are, who could possibly cause him problems. But from the very center of his soul, anxiety keeps him from sleep. Maybe not so different from you and me. Come morning, he turns to his advisors, seeks out expert knowledge, Every kind of magician, enchanter, sorcerer, Chaldean, wise man. He's desperate to find out, to have some certainty about the future. Now, look, I'm guessing this is, might be a weird thing to you. You maybe never seen the head of a sovereign nation this reduced to a mess. You know, the head of a sovereign country facing an issue producing this level of anxiety, even after he's consulted the top experts in his administration. If you could just flick forward for me, Gideon. Um, you, you know, we just haven't seen sovereign leaders of nations, consulting experts about the future and still not having the answers. Oh, yes, of course we have. Sorry, didn't mean to pick on Boris, but you know, it's, it's easier than picking on someone in a political party in Australia and, and, and you know, pretending to take sides on that. I'm not. Um, you see, epidemiologists, health officers, doctors, when corona rocked up, we'd never seen anything like it and we, we didn't know what to do and we didn't know how bad and we made mistakes. No one knew what was going to happen. We were all in the dark. Polit political careers rose and fell on this. And we didn't know what to do. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he's superstitious. Dreams were, were thought to have great predictive power in Babylon. And king's dreams predict great predictive power for the future of the kingdom. So he, he wants to know, oh, what does this mean? I need to know what this was. So he pulls in his experts and he, and he, I don't know if you noticed, he's got a few of them. Magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, wise men, like, like the categories he's got. And yet despite the great number, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get any great certainty. And maybe you can relate to that as well. And things, maybe there's a whole lot of things you think you know or you've got or ways you've tried to control your future and yet you don't have any great certainty like you wish you did. He doesn't trust them. 
He doesn't trust that they're um, not just making up something good that sounds like it's sort of something good to go with the dream. So he tells them, look, you, you've not only got to tell me what the dream means, but also what I dreamed. Now, there is actually another possibility. There's another possibility that um, in, in uh, there's a sort of like a, a bit of an, not legend, but a bit of, a bit of law we've uncovered from Babylon, where if the king can't remember the dream, then it means that the God is angry with the king. Now, I'm not 100% sure exactly how right that is, but either way, this guy is nervous because Nebuchadnezzar either is like one of those paranoid kings who thinks everyone's out to get him and, and he doesn't trust anyone that is actually being, being true with him in his court and he's, and he's going to sort of, you know, you guys are just stalling for time. You're just trying to, you're not saying true things, you're just saying things to placate me. Or he's so embarrassed that he doesn't remember the dream and doesn't want to lose face in front of his, his court that he won't tell them that he's actually forgotten it because he thinks, oh no, they'll know my guy's angry with me and he's, for, and he's putting the problem onto them. Either way, this guy is anxious. He's in a situation he can't control and he desperately wants to know and he puts that on the people around him, his anxiety. Maybe you can relate to Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. I, I, I even... I even wonder if religiously that's true. Um, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, is all this God stuff real? Like, have you had that moment of doubt? Does God even exist? Is, it, it, you know, like those astrologers are being doubted by their sovereign king, you know, the Bible talks about a heaven where all this effort that I'm putting into now will pay off one day, but will it? Is it even real? And this is what matters to us as humans, when it all comes down to it, is it real? Is it, is it true? This is what matters for Nebuchadnezzar. And he's cynical. Do his advisors really have any actual ability to perceive the future from my dreams or are they out of their depth on this one? Or maybe worse, actually, literally just a bunch of con men, fortune tellers, astrologers. You know the kind of words we use actually as insults these days? Charles Taylor is a philosopher who's passed since past. Uh, he called the world that we live in now disenchanted. It's a world where science has moved to the point where we don't trust these kinds of people anymore. There are, there, there are, there are sort of less and less uh, in, the, in the broader public consciousness are we going to astrologers. And yet actually apparently the astrologer business is going really well right now. Because, despite our growing mastery of the forces of nature, anxiety is not on the wane. Anxiety diagnoses are on the way, 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 way up. We, we've got advisors on all sorts of things. We know actually a lot about epidemiology, and yet the way the world is means we have no less sleepless nights than Nebuchadnezzar did. The mysteries of the world remain mysterious to us, and so we have anxiety. So Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't like anxiety. He wants to know. He's a powerful man used to getting what he wants. So he does a semi-scientific experiment of his own. If these people have access to knowledge about the future, if they really have access to the minds of the gods, then you'll be able to tell me what my dream was as well as what it means. So he puts out the challenge. I don't want to just have an interpretation. I want to know that it's the right one. I don't want anxiety. I don't want uncertainty. So he, it's interesting because he, he doesn't just punish failure, although dismemberment, you know, good negative motivation. <laughs> um, not quite as nice a motivation as, oh, we're about to have family time, go get your jobs done, but it's definitely going to make me move. But there's also a, there's a carrot too. Like if someone can actually reduce my anxiety, says Nebuchadnezzar, 
I'll, I'll give them the lot. They can have everything. I'm in charge of my whole country. Now, the uh, astrologers, <laughs> hardly surprisingly, are not exactly pumped by this, by this scientific method. This is not the done thing, they say. This isn't how this works. I don't, think you, I don't think you came in and read the instructions on the fortune teller's door as you saw this. No one has ever asked that because they know this isn't how it works. No one will ever... This is, this is crazy. This is unreasonable. It's unfair. It's not how it works. You tell us the dream. We'll interpret and Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, no, I know that. I get that that's the system. That's why we're not doing it that way. Look, if, you, if, if I just tell you the dream, then you can just tell me you need to sacrifice to the moon tomorrow and that's what it means and then everything will be fine. But, and what am I going to do? I just have to buy it. There's no way for me to verify. And so when the astrologers say, oh, just, just, no, just, just tell us the dream, he gets very, very angry. Now, I want to say, first of all, I have a little bit of sympathy with the astrologers. I'm not sure if I'd want to be in the administration, administrative sort of courts of Babylon in this day. Like, how could someone do this? It's the realm of the gods. Of, this is supernatural stuff. Now, of course, they claim to have access to that, and, but only in their certain way. But the fact is, they really can't tell the king his dream. It's information they do not have the ability to give. And yet, they're in a situation where someone wants relief from their anxiety and they're powerful enough to kill you unless you give it to them, unless someone can do the impossible. And so we get to Daniel. Now look, Daniel surely had the gift of the gab. Flick forward um, the next slide for us because you see what was about to happen in verses 13 and 14. Men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death, right? The king's not in the consultation phase now. The king's in the murdering phase. He has sent people to go kill. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, has gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, that's when Daniel spoke to him. He's got his sword out. Daniel is cool and calm and collected as a guy. This is, this is really impressive. It reminds me a little bit, and I sometimes wonder about Daniel, what God gifts God gave him, because it reminds me of Jesus cool and calm in the face of the threat of death where he just answers questions with just ridiculous, superhuman, I could never quite do that, levels of even-headedness. God's spirit was with him. And so Daniel just asks smoothly, why so extreme? And the guy, for whatever reason, Arioch doesn't kill him. In God's kindness, he gives him the time, which is weird because then he then goes to the king and says, look, king, just give me some time. Do you, remember, do you remember what made the king angry last time the, the, the astrologers came to him? He said, you're stalling for time. Stop stalling for time. And then Daniel asks and says, can I just have some time? Teacher's pet, he gets the extension. This is, thank, thank goodness. And so Daniel does what Daniel knows to do. He, he, knows, he, he knows he's not smart enough to deal with this. God's given him heaps of wisdom, but he knows he's not smart. Not smart enough to do this. And so he goes directly to the God of heaven. I'm not very good when there's an impossible thing. It seems dumb, but I'm not very good when there's an impossible thing at going to God and praying for it. When, I don't, when my assumption is God's not going to answer. I'll just double down on me trying to solve my problem. I don't know about you, but Daniel's smarter. In that sense, he's way smarter than me. 
And not just on his own, he calls together the brothers, all who's going to call on the name of true God. Let's ask him and pray. And God answers, revealing both the dream and its meaning. And if there's ever a moment to praise God in song, it's when your life's on the line and God delivers. And Daniel praises the God of heaven because he gave him what he asked for, because he revealed this dream to him. So, Daniel heads straight to Arioc, straight, straight to the executioner, asking for a stay of execution and an audience with the king. And when Nebuchadnezzar asks if he can reveal both, Daniel's first thing to say is, no. No human could do that. He actually agrees with the astrologers in an affront to the king, saying, mate, you did ask for something impossible. There is a God in heaven, however, who reveals mysteries, he says. It's sort of funny. It's interesting. Do you notice how Daniel's talking? Daniel's talking as if, not he's, not he's not, but he's talking as if he's a polytheist as well. Do you hear how he's talking within the worldview of, of, of the king? Hey, look, yes, no, humans don't have this ability. That's, that's, a, that's a, a thing for the gods. But one of those gods, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. We'll make more of these little, I'm making lots of little observations like that. We'll make more of them as we go through the series. Because before we actually, oh, sorry, I've just read the wrong bit. See, there is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. And I'm not good at going to him. But we need to. You see, where will you go when you're anxious and want to know what's going to happen? Will you go to your insight? Will you go lean on your training? Will you go to experts? See, Daniel knows that God knows. That's Daniel's thing. Daniel's thing is, 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 like, if you actually read the book, aside from, you know, stopping people from killing him, um, which he, you know, he's one for two. He, he gets it here when he gets thrown into the lion's den. Yeah, he, you know, 50% success rate. Still not that great at that. But what he is good at, his one skill that he always gets right, is that he knows that God knows. And so that's where he goes. And the example there for us is that. Brothers and sisters, where do you think you're going to get your answers when you don't know and you're anxious. So the encouragement here is to dig into God's word. It's to read, to listen to God speak. If, he's, if there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's, we, have, we have revealed mysteries, things that, things that tell us about the future, things that might tell us about the future and about things that we're anxious about in the future. And it's here. Daniel doesn't want to take any credit. He wants the king to know that God is over all and that God is the revealer of mysteries. And it's interesting. Daniel even distances himself from the reason for the king getting an answer. You see, Daniel says, why why am I going to reveal this to you? Why did God reveal this to me? Because he wanted you to know. He actually wanted you to know the answer to this question. He answered your prayer that you never bothered to ask him, but he answered it anyway. And so we get to the statue. Flick forward to the statue for us, please, Master Gideon. Uh, The dream itself, a head of gold, and that is you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's probably pretty chuffed at that point. He's like, yeah, the king of gold, that's me. At the top, the golden standard. The next, but the thing is, is that that's your empire, but then there's another empire that's going to come later. Maybe it didn't like quite the sound of 
that so much. It implies an end to his. And then there's another one, uh, belly and thighs of bronze. And then there's another one, legs of iron. This one's going to be a strong empire. Oh, what? My empire's not as strong as this other Feet of iron mixed with clay. There's another empire to come after that. Empire after empire after empire after empire. Human statue, human empire, um, human empire starting, but then also ending. And then another starting and then ending. Starting and ending. Starting and ending. And then something comes that's not of human form, not from human origin, not cut out by human hands. This rock that comes and smashes all of those kingdoms and takes their place, filling the whole earth. Now we're not going to. We're going to. I'm going to keep some powder dry for the for the uh, later bits of the book, identifying the different nature of the kingdoms. But notice here that there's only one kingdom that that actually lasts. Now, there's two parts to this. In one sense, that God knew what the dream was is that's that's just that's sort of the proof. He knew what the dream was, so he's, we know that whatever he's gonna, however he's going to interpret it is legitimate. But the pudding is that God actually decides when those kingdoms are up and when they're down. God is actually the ruler. The thing that's revealed in this section is that not just God knew that he, Nebuchadnezzar was going to be on the throne and he knows the future, he placed him on the throne. Do, do, you, do you see that there's actually there's an active thing here? Now, credit to Nebuchadnezzar, he, he keeps his word, even though despite his hearing about there's a possible end of his kingdom at some point, he makes Daniel the ruler over the whole province of Babylon, places him in charge of all the blokes who couldn't tell him the dream, and, and, and makes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the admins. And that's despite Daniel's interpretation not being favourable. The anxiety being gone, he knows what the dream is and knows what it means. It wasn't great, but at least he knew it was the truth. And sometimes the word of God's like that. It's uncomfortable. It's not exactly nice. It's difficult. But it's the truth. You can have confidence in it. All right. I'm going to pull together what I think we learn from these sections. What do we learn? Uh, flick forward for us, Gideon. Number one is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Kings come and go, but God remains. See, see, the meanings are vague in this section of Daniel, more precise later, but the picture is where kingdoms rise and fall, but in the end, God's kingdom remains. And so don't be anxious how things are going to turn out. See, the thing is, you know how it'll turn out. The, the God who can reveal to you not only what dreams mean, but what the dream was... Well, he's the one who actually is in control of all of these different things, and he will be there in the end. You don't need to be anxious about the ultimate future for yourself because God is sovereign. He is the king. Kings come, kings go, but God remains. Bosses come in your workplace. Bosses will go in your workplace, but God remains. You come, you will die, and yet God remains, the one who is over all your king. Number two, second thing is, it's not just that kings and kingdoms come and go, but God remains. It's that God is the one who makes them come and then bids them go. If you can flick forward to the next slide before us, Gideon. See, God doesn't just happen to win. Everything that happens is doing his bidding. Everything that, everything that occurs in the world is actually serving God's purposes, advancing his plan. You see, this evil king being on the throne, is, that's, that's there because God wanted it to be there. 
There's no thing that he will do that will ultimately be able to harm God's plan or his people, but rather that God will use any evil that he does for a good purpose. And he planned it to be so. You see, this is the thing. We sometimes sort of think of, uh, we've got to go levels further with God's goodness and his sovereignty over all things. Sometimes we can be seeing something happen in the world, in government, in politics, or in world history, in geopolitical stuff, in, 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 in our school that we, that we are at, and we sit there and think, and this is, this is awful. And it might be. And yet not only is it possibly awful, but God has allowed it and permitted it. Not only has God allowed it and permitted it, God wanted it to be there. Not only does God want it to be there, this thing, if it has already happened, then God is definitely 100% going to use it to bring about his plans and purposes so that at the end you will say, my goodness, what, what ridiculous mercy of God that he allowed that to happen and then turned it into good in a way I could not believe it could ever possibly happen. The things that we are scared of, anxious about, worried that we're desperate don't happen. When they do, they end up doing the bidding of the God who loves and end up working out to make evil look bad and God look good and bless his people. See, while the king is on the throne, this evil king of Babylon, God is still ultimately on the throne just as much. He is no less in control when the evil king is on the throne. God was no less in control when the gold from his temple was being carried across the desert to be placed in a Babylonian one. No less in control when Jesus was hanging on the cross with evil men, happy that they had done their deed. And he is no less in control right now than he will be on the last day when every knee is bowed before him. Still the same He's just exerting that control differently, expressing it differently. He's sitting behind the scenes, organizing, arranging. And in fact, the second half of Daniel, it's like the first half of Daniel is designed to get us to believe that that's really true, that God is behind the scenes, arranging, orchestrating it all. And the second half of Daniel is like a peek behind the curtain to see a bit of what's going on back there. When you're in a difficult situation, when your boss wants to change your name or send someone to kill you, hopefully it's not that bad, but... There is a reason for this. You have not been forgotten. It may be difficult. It might be more difficult than I can imagine. But the threats that come against you are grass here one day, gone the next. They're a mist. They're, they're the, the cloud coming down. It seems sometimes like it's there forever on the mountain, but it does. It passes. They're as lasting as the latest product on late-night infomercials. Now, look, that doesn't mean we don't try to change things in this world. It doesn't mean we don't try and make things better. That could be the good thing that God is achieving through putting you in that situation, training you to be the person to make things better in that situation, giving you the opportunity to stand up against an evil or something like that. But what we always do is we recognize that behind the scenes, all is only happening as God allows, and so our hearts can rest easy. Kings don't just come and go. God makes them come and bids them go. Third one, there will be an end to Babylon. See, the thing is, God's not going to stay behind the curtain forever. God marks out times and seasons, and he has marked out an end to the kingdom of humanity, to people who stand up against him. Every institution that dishonors the God of the Bible has no long-term future. Uh, Think of any institution you know right now 
that dishonors God and particularly that scares you, that has power over you. The heart and mind that sets itself up against God will falter and fail. You don't need to be scared of that. Imagine what it would be like to walk into a space where you're currently scared, fearless, not because you got any bigger, but because your God got bigger in your head. To, 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 to sleep like a baby, oh my goodness, that's, that's, that would be, a, well, yeah, some babies. But like, you know what I mean? To sleep like George, at least, George Holmes, apparently fantastic, eight hours a night kind of guy. Imagine, imagine that, because there's no worry. That will be hard. And yet, because there's an end to Babylon, we can be in situations that do cause us anxiety, leave those with God and trust God is sovereign, kings come and go. God is the one who bids them come and bids them go. There is an end to Babylon. And lastly, there will be no end to Jesus' kingdom. It's pretty clear that we haven't done the rest of the kingdoms, that the last kingdom, that rock that ends all human kingdoms, is Jesus. The, the, the rock on whom people stumble, the rock that will crush those who stand against him. Uh, it's picked up a number of times in the New Testament. This is the, this is the kingdom of God. And everything that's part of the human statue is a different kingdom. It's a human kingdom. But this one is cut by no human hand. This is of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that when God visited this earth in Jesus, he started something new, a new kingdom, not a political human empire, but something that occurs in human hearts, a behind-the-scenes kingdom. Just as he was a behind-the-scenes king in Babylon. And in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus gave out forgiveness to any who would come to him and ask, a new heart to those who requested it. And when he returns to bring about the kingdom forever, those who belong to him will come out of the background. We won't be behind the curtain. It won't be, our faith and our being a part of God's kingdom won't be behind the curtain. It will be front and center. And that kingdom will never end. You don't have to be anxious about it. All this is to say is that living for Jesus is a safe bet. When you asked that question earlier, I tried to ask you whether you had asked it. If you're trying to weigh up Christianity, if you're trying to work out if the sacrifice is worth it, it's a safe bet. There's a, there's a, a, a man named Jim Elliott who was a missionary and uh, he once said, it is, it is no, he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And that guy sleeps pretty good. The trick is that anything invested here in this world, in this kingdom, I don't know if it's the kingdom of being... You know, having some mates at school, being popular at school, doing well at school, being well thought of at work, uh, having a set of achievements, having something you feel that you, you, you've, you've achieved and you have made your mark in the world. The kingdom of work will fall. The kingdom of the capitalist economy, it won't be here in the end. I'm not sure if the economists are any better than astrologers of being able to predict the future. It's a pretty tough gig. But, but all that stuff will end. Russia's land grab in Ukraine, they won't possess that land forever. We live, work in and enjoy this world, yes. We be thankful for all God's given us, yes. But we won't remember those things fade, they die. But there will be no end to Jesus' kingdom. You can have a ridiculous courage and a ridiculous rest. Even though, yes, our anxiety is going to be there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it would have been really scary to be Daniel. 
Put in really scary to, in inverted commas, waste time praying when he could have been thinking up a solution or a scheme to get himself out of that. But he put his trust in you and you did the impossible and gave him something that couldn't have happened if you weren't real. Father, there's lots of times where we feel anxious and worried, where there's problems for us we feel like we need to overcome. And we don't want to waste time, in inverted commas, praying to you. But you are the good God who we should go to. Father, we thank you that you do reveal mysteries. That how this world's going to end up, when, what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to you, you tell us. And Father, we thank you and praise you that you've actually given us a reassuring answer if, we're, if, we, if we put our trust in your son. The future's secure. Father, help us to go to you with our anxiety and help us to choose where we are able not to worry. Help us not to go to anything else other than you. For you are the one who reveals mysteries and whose kingdom will never end. We ask it in Jesus' name, the king who will rule that kingdom and who will usher us into there as his friends. Amen.